Hi, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I've created a place you can go to anytime you need to take a break from everyday life and work. A place you can always count on for a great story. And it's called 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner. Or simply, Roy's Diner. It's just up ahead on the right. On the menu tonight at Roy's Diner, the very best of 50s vintage suspense, thriller, and sci-fi radio. We're inviting you to stop in for a story or two. The caffeine here is included in the story. And now, two stories for your entertainment. All we ask is that you share them with others and send us a review when you can. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape, brought to you by your Richfield gasoline dealer and the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York. Marketers of Richfield gasolines, motor oils, and other petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Tonight, we escape to the prairie west of the Platte River and to the Indian fighting U.S. cavalry of the Old West. As James Warner Bella describes it in his exciting tale... Command. Captain Priddle, sir. Yes, Sergeant. Here comes Lieutenant Cohill back with the patrol. Yes, I see him. Halt the column. Yes, sir. Column! Hand me my field glasses, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Here you are, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Captain Brettles. Well, Mr. Cohill. Here's the best body of grass, sir. This slope with the small run below for water. This is the best bivouac for tonight. Mr. Cohill, do you see the rise there to the left behind you across the valley? Yes, sir. What are those shapes lying on that slope? A small herd of buffalo. Sleeping, it seems. We didn't go that far, sir. We turned back when we saw them. The wind has shifted a bit. Take a deep breath, Mr. Cohill. Yes, sir. Smell anything? No, sir. Take another deep breath, Mr. Cohill. Get it in your nostrils and tell me if what you smell is sleeping buffalo. No, sir. It smells like dead men. And not freshly killed. Lieutenant Gresham and his squad, sir? I imagine so. The men we've come to find... We'll make sure after nightfall. Mr. Cohill, there are several fairly obvious differences between the Great Plains and a classroom at West Point. There you can fail and try again. Here you may not have that chance. There they taught you, I am sure, that accuracy and observation is a military virtue. I suggest that you cultivate it here. Sergeant Utterback. Yes, sir. This is the bivouac. This mountain on saddle. Night grazing area between the crest of this hill and the creek bottom. Use the picket rope, no individual pins. Yes, sir. Yes! Yes! Yes, sir, Captain Brettles. No, sir, Captain Brettles. Of all the officers in the United States Cavalry, why did they have to assign me to him? A handbook soldier, overage and grade. A bitter failure of a soldier marking time out here on the plains until he retires, taking up space in the table of organization, standing in the way of younger and more aggressive and, yes, more capable officers. My father wouldn't be guessing. Father would be over yonder right now to see if those corpses are really Gresham and his men. Father would have made sure instead of losing time making camp, the broken rattle Sergeant Utterback had found at noon showed clearly... Sir, that broken rattle the sergeant found... Yes, Mr. Cohill? What, we crossed the trace of that Sioux war party at noon today? That could have been the trail of a Cheyenne war party. Or Comanches or Apaches. 
They all make rattles like that from the ends of buffalo toes. But if they were, Sue, they couldn't be more than 30 miles to the north in the Deadlands. They're afraid of ambush, so they'd be camping away from timber and near water. Two hours rest and we can be at the upper reaches of the river by dawn, sir, ahead of them. Mr. Cowell, I have no orders to be anywhere by dawn or any other time. My orders are to find Mr. Gresham's patrol and, having found it, return to Fort Stark and report it. I think I've found him. I'll know as soon as the moon rises and I go over and take a look. Water the mounts in half an hour. Yes, sir. Mr. Cohill. Sir? Reading minds is an uncomfortable habit, but one I have never been able to lose. Yes, sir. Look at the other side of it. Suppose that war party was Cheyenne, which they might be instead of Sioux. They wouldn't be in the Deadlands. Cheyennes would head for timber along the lower Mesa Roja. So would Arapahoes, Kiowas, or Comanches. They'd all bivouac in the open timber. And, Mr. Cohill, they all make rattles out of buffalo toes. Yes, sir. Pass the word to Sergeant Utterback that dinner will be at 6.30, but the bugler will not sound calls. Yes, sir. And, Mr. Cohill. Yes, sir. There is no shortcut to the top of the glory heap. So we'll not run all over the West tonight looking for one. But if death in battle is a soldier's path to glory, Mr. Gresham and his patrol had found a shortcut. Yet what we looked upon that night on yonder slope was not glorious. Well, at least they respected them as fighting men. How's that, Sergeant? Every one of them skinned ball-headed so he can cross the shadow waters without trouble. And whoever did it don't want to fight him again. Why? Hands and feet cut off, that's why, sir. To cripple them in case they meet in the hereafter. Sergeant? Yes, sir? Do you still think the Sioux did this? No, sir. Not now, sir. Why not? Sir, I made the march from Bent's Fourth to Santa Fe with Steve Carney. And I know an Apache arrow when I see one, sir. Even a thousand miles from where they're made. Yes, but that Sioux trail we crossed this morning. That war party could have brushed with an Apache war party and come by Apache arrows that way. No, sir. No, sir, this job is two days old, sir. It wasn't that Sioux war party. This is Apache work. How do you figure that? Mostly because the captain knows it's Apache work too, sir. Lieutenant Cohill. Sir? Take the grave detail. Yes, sir. Sergeant. Yes, sir. We shall move the company out at 10 tonight. Yes, sir. We will return to Fort Stark to report this massacre as fast as we can. Yes, sir. So he's showing me. Makes his lieutenant first grave digger and confides his plans to the sergeant in exchange for flattery. He's an old woman in blue fatigues. Can't hide his bad temper. And worse, he's a frightened old woman. Instead of striking when he has the advantage, he's going to cut and run. In a stiff action, I'd probably have to shoot him and take over the command. A grave doesn't take long to dig in the soft black earth of the plains. And the rocks were nearby to pile upon the still mounds against the hungry muzzles of wolves and coyotes. And after, the air was sweeter in the cold moonlight. And the job done in plenty of time for Captain Brittle's scheduled retreat. The commander's prepared to mount, sir. Very good, Sergeant. Captain Brittle. Yes, Mr. Cohill. Excuse me, sir, but can't we go after the Indians who did this? Can't we try Mr. to... Mr. Cohill, the United States Cavalry is not out here to fight Indians. We're here to watch them and report on them for the Indian Bureau. We fight only if they attack us. I refer you to the standing orders of the Department of the Platte. They are most explicit on this point. Yes, I know, sir, but Mr. Gresham was attacked. How do you know that? Well, I, I don't, for sure. Of course you don't. But he's dead, and his command, dead and mutilated, and we ought to... Go to what? Avenge him? Disabuse yourself of classroom valor, Mr. Cohill. Out here, we obey orders. Sergeant! Yes, sir. Pass the word to mount. Yes, sir. Updike. You? Pass the word, mount. Pass the word, mount. Pass the word, mount. Thirty miles already that day, and who knows how many miles ahead of us tonight. The men are tired. The horses are tired. Cavalry is a delicate arm of the service, Captain Brittles. Hour after hour, as the moon threw our lengthening shadows ahead of us. Hour after hour. Walk thirty minutes, trot five minutes, dismount and lead ten minutes, unbid and graze fifteen minutes every hour. 
Hour after hour. Got a chai eating tobacco, Middendorf? Ain't got much. Well, give me a loan or something. You can get some more at the fort tomorrow. Yeah. Why don't you ever have any of your own? Don't approve of chawing tobacco. My ma don't, that is. Thanks. God be mighty. Mexico wasn't like this. You tell. No, sir. When I was with Winfield Scott, the time we took Chapultepec... Hey, Mittendorf. Savage is back in the Mexican campaign again. Pity he didn't stay there. <laughs> yeah. Just the same, the army was the army in them days. You slept in tents, and when you took a town, there was girls, senoritas, not squaws. So if you like us so very much, why don't you go back with those girls? Cause I was gold brick. You was what? Gold brick. Oh. I joined up again because they said they'd be fighting out here. Only fighting I seen west of the Missouri's on Saturday nights in the barracks. Boy, sure ain't like the old army. Sergeant Utterback. Yes, sir. I'd like to ask you a question. Yes, sir. How did you know the captain thought they were Apaches that killed Mr. Gresham's detail? Well, I've been his first sergeant for a long time, sir. You, uh, you get to know. I see. Do I get to know? This is a different kind of service out here, sir. It ain't full-dress war, but... But it's the only kind the captain and I ever served in, sir. And you get to know it just like you get to know siege operations or saber charge by company front after you've had enough of them. I see. Five hours on the way now. Less than three hours till dawn. And we're at the North Fork of the Platte in a full 25 minutes for watering call. Some of the men lie sleeping where they've dismounted. Others huddle together in the moon shadow yeah, of the high bank, quietly talking. She left me standing there like a bound boy at a huskin. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do then? Wasn't nothing to do except join the army. That little senorita in Mexico City time I was with Scott when we took Mexico. But she wasn't at all like that. Not at all. Any of you boys ever had a lobster? Not me. I never even seen one. I had a catfish once. Didn't like it. I could sure put away a lobster right now. Fresh out of the lobster pot and into the cooking pot. Alive? Sure. That's the only way to cook a lobster. Sure wish I was back in Wiscasset. Get you back in the state of Maine, you'll be pining away for buffalo meat. Truer word was never spoken. Some people ain't never satisfied. I ain't never satisfied for a fact. That's how you get someplace in this world. Never be satisfied. Sure got you a long way, didn't it? Looks like you can plan on getting even further, Saba. Captain's getting fidgety again. Oh, yeah. Another day, another dollar. All right, men. All right, fall in and be quiet. Prepare to mount. Pass the word. Prepare to mount. Pass the word. Prepare to mount. Pass it. Prepare to mount. Pass it. Mount. Mount. Uh, Route step. Forward. Route step. Forward. Route step. Forward. March. Go. Go. He's heading north. How's that, Sergeant? North, sir. Captain's heading north. You're right, Sergeant. Red Mesa should be to our left. Instead, it's dead ahead. Doesn't make any sense, Sergeant. Yes, sir. My father would have done things differently. In the cold, dying moonlight, I could imagine him. Young Major Cohill riding out of St. Joe to convoy the wagon trains bound west on the Oregon Trail. What a figure he must have been out here in the old days when the Missouri River itself was the jumping-off place. Killer Cohill, as men had called him. But the wide-roaming Arapahoes had another name for him. Blue Devil with eyes in the back of his head. By this time, Father would have cut those Apaches into coyote meat as they lay sleeping around their smoldering campfire. Mr. Cohill. Mr. Cohill, sir. Y yes, Sergeant? Were you dozing, sir? Uh, no, no, of course not. I, I was just thinking. 
Captain Biddles wants you at the head of the column, sir. Thank you, Sergeant. Sergeant Utterback said you wanted me, sir. Yes, Mr. Coel, I do. This is officer's call. Listen carefully. I have Sergeant Sutro ahead of me with the point. You will relieve him with eight men and push forward fast. Yes, sir. Will you recall the ford across Red Mesa Wash? Yes, sir. We crossed it yesterday. Exactly. There is a knoll on the east side of the wash. A knoll that is crossed by the trail from the top of the Mesa. I remember, sir. Be on that knoll before dawn. Build a bivouac fire as soon as you arrive. Do what, sir? Build a fire. I want to know when you get there. But I can send a messenger back to tell you when I arrive. I want everyone else for miles around to know it, too. Build a bivouac fire, a squad fire. No larger. Yes, sir. Should you happen to be attacked, you are to hold that knoll fighting on foot. Remember, the dawn light can work for you, but it can also fool you in this country. So don't shoot until the last possible moment. But I don't understand. You don't have to. You have your orders. Yes, sir. Move out, Mr. Cohill. You're the bait on my hook. Wriggle. It's new. It's free. Don't miss it. Don't miss this free offer by your Richfield gasoline dealer. It's the new Richfield baseball book. 32 pages jammed with fascinating facts about America's number one sport. And it's yours for the asking at your Richfield gasoline dealer station. This new Richfield baseball book is the most interesting book of its kind ever published. Listen to this. The Richfield baseball book shows you seating diagrams of leading stadiums. It has a special baseball quiz you can try on your friends. It has a special page on which you can try your skill at picking pennant winners. It has a spring and summer calendar. That's right. The Richfield Baseball Book has all that, plus major league schedules, many minor league schedules, and World Series box scores. So be sure to get your free copy tomorrow while the supply lasts. Drive in where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Ask your Richfield dealer for your free copy of the new Richfield Baseball Book. And now we return you to Escape. You knew Red Mesa was there only because the stars stopped where it stood. The moon was a honey ladle spilling blackness over the edge of the plains. Then the jagged teeth of the Rockies broke it into ragged potsherds. And it was gone. It was dark, black dark, cold dark. The squad fire sputtered and took and pushed the night back a little. This was different. This was command. This was the final moment of the soldier's heritage. To stand ready to fire and be fired upon. To kill and be killed. And it wasn't at all like you expected. It just plumb scared you. Don't stand still, Mittendorf. Keep moving a little all the time. And, and slap those mounts. Keep them moving, too. Yes, sir. Uh, Lieutenant, sir? How come the captain sent us up here to sashay around on the top of this little old hill? He said we're the bait of his hook. Huh? The decoy. If there's an Indian war party, we're to draw them out. Uh, better put some bacon on to fry, Lusk. Make it look natural. Yes, sir. Meaning we uns may end up like Mr. Gresham in his patrol? There's always that possibility. Oh, Ain't a prospect that pleases, sir. That's what a soldier lives for, Sarver. To die. He does? Uh, I mean, yes, sir. It was a good performance. To any watching Sioux or Apache, here was a small white soldier war party like the two yesterday's party they'd left lying scalpless in the buffalo grass 30 miles down the valley. Fire lighted, bacon cooking. Horses unsaddled and warriors sleeping from a long night march. Soft for the kill. Only the warriors weren't sleeping. Beyond the yellow carpet of firelight, they lay fanned out behind their saddles, waiting, sorting the night sounds with straining ears, pushing at the soft wall of darkness with widened eyes. Wish them dead, burned coyotes didn't sound so much like human beings. Well, then you can be sure of one thing. No Indian is running around in the middle of the night yelling like a coyote. Yeah, but it sure makes me nervous. Sound like hootie owls back home in Maine. What's that? Behind you. Don't get in a fret, boys. It's only me. Uh, oh, General Scott's chief of staff. Know something? You're lucky I didn't put a bullet through you. Nah, nah, you wouldn't do that. Lieutenant said not to fire until commanded. 
Any of you fellas ever had Injun pudding? No. I had a sort of bean pudding when I was with old rough and ready Zack Taylor at the Battle of Buena Vista. But I didn't like it much. Was you with Napoleon at Waterloo? No, but I've been talking to the lieutenant. Naturally. What's the word from headquarters? It's made of cornmeal and molasses. What? Injun pudding. Oh. Seen any savages yet? No, and don't expect to yet. Why? Because there ain't an Indian west of the Missouri will come out and fight at night if he can help it. Yeah, that's right. They're afraid of taking a chance of being killed at night. They believe if a warrior's killed at night, he'll be blind when he gets to the happy hunting grounds. Well, then what are we worrying about? Who's worrying? Not me. Oh. And you can start worrying. Huh? Dawn's coming. You can make out the Mesa planer. Sure would like some Indian pudding for breakfast. Slowly, the light came. First, you could see the outline of the mesa. Then down below, the silver of the water in the wash. Then the shapes of the men. And out across the plain, the feathers of mist in the drawers. If it was to come, it would come now. Hold your fire, men. Arrows. They're shooting arrows. Oh, what'd you expect? They're engines. What was that? Hit one of the horses. Here they come. <laughs> Malay. Hold your fire. Oh. Hold it. They are Apaches. I got one of the heathen. I got two. Look at them lying yonder. One of them's still wriggling. I'll fix that. Hold your fire! But I was They'll just... be back. That was only the beginning. Yes, sir. You all right, Coffin? My legs, sir. Hmm. Bone shattered. Hurt much? A little, sir. Those arrows are sure wicked. Go right through a man if they don't hit bone. Do tell. No action in the new army, huh, Sava? Well, it ain't exactly like Chapulapec. Here they come again. Hold fire. Light's better this time. Makes no difference. Hold your fire. They're the ones that did Mr. Gresham in. Look, that one's wearing a corporal chevron's, and there's one with a U.S. cavalry saber. Where's Captain Brittles? That's how I want to know. Most likely having breakfast at the fort. Decoy. We're just a... Lord Almighty! Fire! Well, they took care of almost half of them. They'll be back. No, they won't. It's Captain Brittles now. Attacking from the flank. Hey, Sava, Captain Brittles got him on the run. Hey, can you pull this tarnation arrow out of me? Down below the knoll, the remains of the Apaches were streaking for the open plains with Captain Brittles' men overtaking them, cutting them down with thirsty sabers and pistoling the ponies as they ran. And then it was quiet and not an Indian or his pony was left alive. Coffin sat propped up against a saddle, lighting his pipe. His shattered legs stretched naked and useless before him. And Sarva lay where he'd fallen, eyes closed, face blue. His hands around the shaft sunk deep in his left side below the ribs, the feathered tip waving idly with each shallow breath. Can't we do something for him, sir? What? Look how deep that arrow is, right under the heart. Can't cut it out, can't pull it through. Poor Sava. He finally saw action. Yeah. I can hear him now telling St. Peter about the time he beat the Apaches under Coheel. That's not very funny. No, I guess you're right, Coffin. How's your leg? Pain in you much? Can't feel anything. Lieutenant? Yes, Coffin? Do you think they'll send me back home to get this fixed? You think maybe I'll get to see the state of Maine right soon? I hope so, Coffin. Land of Goshen, no, you won't get further than the hospital at Council Bluffs. They'll wire you together, slap a plaster on you, and send you right back to fight Indians. It was a strange feeling. 
a mixture of pride and guilt. Watching a man die whom I'd commanded into action, looking at the shattered leg of another. And a feeling of helplessness, too. For the moment, we could only sit there and wait. Our horses were dead or stampeded by the action. We were alone on our little hilltop in the hot red glare of the rising sun. And then the company rode back in triumph and I was reporting to Captain Brittles. And it seemed like months instead of hours since I'd last looked at his tired gray face. Mr. Cohill, you did that well. You may do in time. Captain, you knew there were Apaches yesterday at sundown. And you knew they were camped on top of the mesa, didn't you, sir? Mr. Cohill, accuracy and observation is a military virtue. Had you pushed forward to that slope yesterday afternoon, you would have found Mr. Gresham, not sleeping buffalo. Had your eyes been sharp, you would have found this between the slope and last night's bivouac. An Apache headband. That's right, and bloodstained. And had you been a plainsman and suspected Apaches, you would have looked at once for smoke at sundown from the highest ground, in this case, Red Mesa. You had me fooled, sir. I even thought... The facts for the record are these. My patrol, temporarily bivouacked at dawn today, came under a sudden enemy attack. Fortunately, it was able to hold until I arrived with the main body. I understand perfectly, sir. I'm familiar with departmental orders which allow defensive actions only and expressly forbid attack. And yet they are in direct violation of cavalry tactics. For cavalry is extremely weak on the defensive and can only defend well by attacking. I believe that is also taught at West Point. And I thought you were avoiding an engagement. Captain, I'm terribly sorry. Mr. Cohill, never apologize. It is a mark of weakness. There is a captain out here who tried it once to escape an inquiry board. He escaped it, but he will die a captain in spite of his apology. The officer who saw to that could have worked with him and made a soldier of him if his humanity had been large enough. Mr. Cohill, I'm going to make a soldier out of you. You may present my respects to General Cohill when next you write your father. Mr. Cohill, take morning stables. If you drive a car, remember this strange-sounding word, xylene. Xylene is one of the highest octane gasoline components known to science. Today, all Richfield gasoline contains this powerful super-octane component, xylene. With a tank full of Richfield gasoline containing xylene, you've got dynamic power at the tip of your toe. Smooth, knockless power to put you out ahead in traffic. Every gallon of Richfield gasoline contains xylene. But that's not all. There is a Richfield gasoline especially refined to fit the power requirements of your particular car. By Richfield Ethyl. Ethyl at its best for best results in highest compression motors. By Richfield High Octane at regular price for the average motor. Both of these famous Richfield gasolines contain xylene. Get the best out of your car. Get the most for your money. Get Richfield gasoline with xylene. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and tonight has presented command by James Warnabella, adapted for radio by Mr. Robeson. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell as Lieutenant Cohill, John Hoyt as Captain Brittles, Wally Mayer as Sergeant Utterback, David Ellis as Updike, Paul Freeze as Sarver, Walter Burke as Mittendorf, and Hugh Thomas as Coffin. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You are standing in the observation turret of a gigantic rocket ship about to be shocked into space on man's first voyage to Mars. In the heavens above you lie the magnificence of the universe and also terrible dangers from which there is no escape. Next week at this time, the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York invites you to escape with one of the most unusual of all stories about man's attempt to conquer space as Ray Bradbury tells it in his exciting tale, Mars is Heaven. Be listening. Goodbye then until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. Tom Hanlon speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. (laughs) 
tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape, brought to you by your Richfield gasoline dealer and the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York. Marketers of Richfield gasolines, motor oils, and other petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Tonight, we escape to a gigantic rocket ship about to be shocked into space on man's first voyage to Mars. As Ray Bradbury tells it in his famous science fiction story, Mars is heaven. The project is magnificent, overwhelming and tremendous. We return you now to the scene of the takeoff in the desert of New Mexico. Go ahead, New Mexico. Thank you, London. This is Stuart Novins back in New Mexico. I'm standing here on the Great Steel Observation Platform overlooking the takeoff stand. As the moment for departure draws nearer, the whole area has been flooded with artificial light. It bathes a spaceship in a kind of, of silver luminescence and surrounding it, engulfing it, this subdued hysteria of hundreds of thousands of people come to see the start of this incredible voyage of 18 men in the rocket ship, The Venture. It's standing there, pointing upward, pointing toward the heavens, and in a few minutes it will bloom out into great flowers of heat and color, shocked into space on man's first voyage to Mars. As you know, ladies and gentlemen, prayers are being said for these 18 men in their ship, the first men, the first ship to dare the voyage to another planet. Prayers are being said by every creed in mosques and churches and synagogues the world over. We take you now to the Basilica of St. Paul's in Rome. This is New Mexico again. We're sorry to cut in, but that roar you're hearing, the roar of the crowd, it's the moment we've been waiting for. I can see the crew of the venture walking up the catwalk that leads to the spaceship. The men are entering, and now, now the escape hatch is closed. Now the men are in the ship. This silence, this, this great, awful silence of the crowd, it's the voiceless prayer that's in every heart. They're about ready now. Some lights from the ship just blinked on and off. It's a signal. In just a few seconds, a few more, stand by. Stand by. They're gone. The venture. It's out of sight. Log entry, U.S. rocket ship venture. One hour out from Earth, destination Mars. Past Keneally heaviside layer without incident. Rate of speed, 450,000 miles per hour. With planet Mars at its closest point to Earth, 35 million miles. Calculate duration of voyage to be roughly three and a half days. Captain John Blackmaster. Log entry, U.S. rocket ship, the venture. 12 hours out from Earth. While navigating supertensioned atmospheric forces, port shield generator broke down. Replaced by booster. Yes? Lieutenant Lustig reporting, sir. Come in, Pete. Have the report on the trajectory, sir. I'll put it on my desk. Pete? Yes, sir. How do you feel? Feel? Why, just wonderful, sir. Sitting up there in the observation turret, I... I don't know just how to say it. The sights, I mean. Moon so close and Earth looking like... <laughs> and Mars, sir. Sir? Do you really think we'll make it? 
Who is it? Dr. Hankson, Captain. May I come in? Sure, Sam. Uh, you weren't asleep, were you, John? Oh, no, Sam. Just sitting here thinking. Well, don't think about it too much. Sleep instead. You need all the sleep you can get. Who sleeps? Who sleeps and has no way of knowing what's waiting for him? Look at it through the porthole, Sam. Mars. How would you describe it, that glittering blob of red? That's good enough. Will it consume us? Spew our dust out into space? <laughs> Maybe it's the Elysian fields, all charm and sweetness and moonlight shining on the restless dead. Which will it be, Sam? I don't know. All I know is that they told me I was an expert in space medicine. At Randolph Field on a plot of ground called Texas, they told <laughs> me that. That's all I know. What are you doing up? You're supposed to be in a sack. Well, I'll tell you, Captain. Sometimes a man can't sleep. That happens to me sometimes. So I just wander through the ship, check on the boys, see that they're tucked in properly. <laughs> That's what you were doing with me, huh? No, no, no. I, uh, well, I just... Uh... What made them do it, Sam? What made them volunteer? Man keeps looking for something. There are no new frontiers now, only new worlds. And there'll always be men who want to conquer them. Log entry, U.S. rocket ship venture. 78 hours out from Earth. Approaching gravitational field of Mars. Atmospheric conditions similar to Earth's. Log entry, U.S. rocket ship venture. 79 hours out from Earth. Have this moment landed on Mars at 1,700 hours. We made it. Chemical analysis indicated on ship's instruments shows air to be breathable and will sustain human life. Gravity comparable with that of Earth's. Ready, John? Yes. How the men in sick base, Sam? Happy. They're all right, John. You ready? First one thing. Captain to crew. Captain to crew, your attention. We have landed on Mars. No man is to leave this ship under penalty of court-martial. Dr. Hingston and I will make a brief reconnaissance. Crew will proceed with repair of ship's hull. As you know, our ship is armed against any possible aggression. I can't impress it upon you too strongly. No man will leave this ship until Dr. Hingston and I ascertain that we are not in a hostile world. That is all. Let's go, Sam. You first, Captain. It's your honor. You, the first man from Earth to walk on Mars. This, this grass, it's a well-kept lawn. John, look over there. A house, a Victorian house. Colored glass and scrolls and everything. I don't believe it. Come on. <laughs> Sam, look at these. Two iron deer on this lawn. <laughs> we had a pair of these when I was a kid. Sam, you hear that? That, that piano from that house. Sam, this isn't Mars. It, it can't be. It just can't be. It can't be, John, but it is. Welcome to Mars. Perhaps you know that skilled research scientists have worked for many years to develop new high-octane components for gasoline. Components to give your car higher Antonoc performance and greater power. But do you know that from this research has come xylene? Xylene, one of the highest octane components in gasoline history. Now, listen. Today, every gallon of the famous Richfield gasoline contains xylene. Xylene and Richfield gasoline helps give your car new lively pickup, new high Antinoc power, and new gasoline economy. Furthermore, there are two great Richfield gasolines with xylene. That means you can select the right Richfield gasoline to give your particular car the finest performance at lowest cost per mile. Richfield high-octane gasoline at regular price is specially refined for the average motor. Richfield ethyl. Ethyl at its best meets the requirements of the newest motors of the highest compression. 
And remember, both Richfield gasolines contain xylene. Stop where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Get famous Richfield gasoline with xylene. And now we return you to Escape. What did I say, Sam? Somewhere back there in space? That Mars was the Elysian Fields, all sweetness and charm. No, John, it isn't that. It's what you see. A world like ours on Earth. And this? A small town with good air in it. A small town like the one I was born in. Same smell of flowers, the same sounds. You think that the civilizations of two planets can progress at the same rate, develop in the same way? I do now. (laughs) Well, I don't. Well, look at that house. A Victorian house on Mars? You expect me to believe that? A house with lace curtain windows, with port swings, with something that sounds like a piano and probably is a piano, playing beautiful Ohio. You believe all that? I believe it. I admit it's strange, but I believe it. Strange nuts. It's impossible. We're going back to the ship. Wait, wait, John. It could be. It could be that there are similar patterns of thought, movement, civilization on every planet in our system. Maybe we're on the threshold of the great psychological and metaphysical discovery of our time. Maybe we... Well, go on, Sam. Maybe this proves the existence of God. Not everyone needs proof. I don't. But how else can you explain all this? John, it it fills me with terror and joy. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I admit it looks peaceful and cool. Pretty much like Council Bluffs, where I was born. That was a good, quiet place, Council Bluffs, Iowa. I'm... Do you see that, Sam? Do you hear it? I see it and hear it. It's there. A horse and carriage going down the street. Suppose, just suppose that by accident or something, we landed on a planet in space in another time. Suppose that this is Earth, 30 or 50 years ago. Maybe we got lost in the dimensions. Uh, What do you think, Sam? So much like my hometown, that house, that room up there with the beaded lamp near the window. When I was a kid, I used to sleep and do my lessons in a room just like that. I'd lie there in the night, and I'd be awake, and I could hear the freight trains across the river, and... John, do you hear that? I hear it. Let's go. Where? We're going up to that house and ask questions. Where else? Come on. Yes, can I help you? I beg your pardon, but uh, we want... If you're selling uh, something, I'm much too busy and I haven't time. We're all at supper. Oh, wait. Wait, don't go. Uh, What town is this? What do you mean, what town is this? How could you be in a town and not know what town it was? I beg your pardon, but we're strangers here. We're from Earth. And uh, we want to know how this town got here, how you got here. Are you census takers? (laughs) No. What do you want, then? How long has this town been here? It was built in 1868. Is this a game? No, no, not a a game. Uh, Look, uh, try to understand. We're from Earth. From where? From Earth. Where's that? Uh, The the Earth? What? Uh, Out of the ground, you mean? (laughs) No, from the planet Earth. Um, Come out on the porch, please, and I'll show you. No. I won't come out there. You're evidently quite mad from the sun. Uh, let me try, John. Uh, lady, uh, we came in a flying ship across space among the stars. We came from the third planet from the sun, Earth, to this planet, which is Mars. Now, do you understand? You're touched from the sun, too. Go away now before I call my husband from his supper. He'll beat you up. That's what he'll do. But uh, this is Mars, isn't it? This is Green Lake, Ohio on the continent of America, surrounded by the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans on a place called the world, or sometimes the Earth. Go away now, go away! Let's take a walk, Sam. Yeah. Sam? Yeah? There's something going on here. Something we don't understand. I want you to go back to the ship. If anything out of the way happens, lift the ship and get out. But, John... That's an order, Sam. All right, if it's an order. John, look. 
Look at that woman walking toward us. Oh, what about her? Well, she looks like... Sam! She... Oh, Sam, you look fine, so grown up. Sam, don't you know me? It's your grandma, your old grandma. Grandmother. What's wrong, Sam? This is a happy meeting. And who is this friend of yours? Uh, th th this is Captain John Black. John, uh, this is my grandmother. Grandmother? So help me. So help me, John, this is my grandmother. She's dead. Died 30 years ago. But this is my grandmother. Well, there's no sense standing here on the street. You just come along to my house. We've so much to talk about. You too, Captain. And your friend of my grandson's is mine too. I don't stand there with your mouths open. Come on. Here, Sam, have some more iced tea. Would you like some more too, Captain? Oh, thank you. I would. Well, here's to our health. Health? How long have you uh, been here, Grandmother? Ever since I died. What? Don't look like that. I said ever since I died, 30 years ago. Sam. Who are we to question what happens? What's living, anyway? All I know is I'm alive again and no questions asked. Here, Captain, feel. Go ahead, feel my arm. Solid, isn't it? You hear my voice, don't you? You hear it, don't you, Captain? Yes, yes, I hear it. Grandmother... Well, then I... why go around questioning? Well, it's just that we... Well, I... I never thought I'd see you again, Grandmother. Mrs. Hingston... Yes, some more iced tea, Captain. Oh, no, no, uh... I just want to ask you a question. Mrs. Hingston, is Mars heaven? Nonsense, no. It's a world, and we get a second chance. It's like another Earth. How do we know there wasn't one before Earth? <laughs> That's a good question, John. Well, uh, well, maybe we better get back to the ship, Sam. It's been nice, Mrs. Hingston. Thanks for the drink. You'll be back, of course. For supper, I mean. We're having fried chicken Wait and mashed potatoes. Wait a minute. What's, what's that? Excuse me, Mrs. Hingston. Sam? Sam, come here. Hey, well, what do you know, John? A parade. With a brass band. But the crew, my crew marching behind the band with all those people. But they're heroes. These people are welcome Americans, heroes. They abandoned ship. They had orders. I'll court-martial every one of them. Oh, John, listen to me. They found all relatives and friends, just like I have. They have their orders. What would you have done? Obeyed orders. I... I... What's the matter? Sam. Sam, I don't believe it. It's impossible. John, they said I would find you here. Phyllis. Of course, darling. Phyllis. Of course. Who did you think it was? This is Phyllis, Sam. My, my... Ten years ago. After that, I never got married. We're waiting for you. Uh, Your mother and father. They're alive? Waiting for you. At your old house on Maple Avenue. You, you heard that, Sam, didn't you? This is Phyllis talking. And she said mother and dad and the house... You understand it now, the crew. Same thing has happened to them. Yes. Yes. When I open my eyes, it'll all be gone. Phyllis will be gone. Open them, John. Phyllis. Phyllis. Oh, my darling. My darling. Good to see you children dancing together again. Your mother would have enjoyed it so much, John. I must have worn her out with all my questions. Don't worry about it, son. She'll get a good rest tonight. Then in the morning, the days after, we have so much time now, son. We'll all be together. You and Phyllis, your mother and I, so much time. Yes, yes. Don't go away from me, John. Hold me closer. Oh, I've dreamed so long of dancing with you. I... No, 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 no. No more questions. Just accept it. That your mother and father were once dead and are now alive. That I was killed 
Ten years ago, I was killed in a horrible accident. And now, now I'm alive and in your arms. Oh, tight, John, hold me tight. I think I'll run along to bed now. You children won't forget to turn out the lights. Well, you know what to do. Good night, Phyllis. Good night, Father Black. Good night, son. Good night, Dad. Shall we go out on the back porch, John? Like we used to long ago. Come with me, John. Here. Let's sit here on the steps. Remember that grape arbor? You built it. Oh, I remember you hit your thumb with a hammer, and I cried. You're very silent, John. Is anything wrong? Phyllis, I've just had a crazy notion. Suppose this were Mars. But it isn't. Uh, humor me, Phyllis. Suppose it were Mars. And the Martians saw our ship coming and saw us inside our ship and hated us, and they wanted to destroy us, but in a very clever way. Yes? Well, what would be the best weapon a Martian could use against us with our atomic bombs, our hydrogen? John... No, let, let me finish. The hypothesis is interesting. The Martians would use telepathy, hypnosis, memory, imagination. Oh, John, don't question us anymore. No more. Look, suppose this town is some other shape, a Martian shape. But by playing on my memory and my desires and my wants, they've made it what I've wanted it to be. Yes. I suppose my mother and father weren't that at all. But two Martians, incredibly brilliant, keeping me under this dreaming hypnosis as other Martians have done it to my men, to Sam. But me, you've had your arms around me. You've kissed me. We shared old secrets. Was that a Martian hypnosis, John? Phyllis. Yes, what is it, John? Where are you going? I've got to talk to Sam. I've got to find out what he thinks now that he's alone with his grandmother. Stay here with me, John. Well, I've got to talk to Sam. Maybe he's beginning to wonder, too. You're not going anywhere, John. Phyllis! Phyllis, no! You're... You're not Phyllis! I was right. You're not. You're not. Friends, friends, comrades, fellow Martians, this is a great day for Mars, a day of great rejoicing. As number one of quadrant 327B, of Sector Q, it is my proud privilege to read to you this message from the Planetary All High. It says, congratulations on your splendid work in meeting the barbarian invaders and atomizing them. You have proven the complete efficiency of Plan A, and hereafter, mass hypnosis will become standard operating procedure in repelling any further invasion from outer space, be they sub-Martian from Earth or any other creature from any other planet. Well done. <laughs> I can add little to this unstinted praise from the all high, but I would like to point out to you that what you have accomplished could not have been done had it not been for our space heroes who have risked so much and often given all in recent years to keep the planet Earth under close surveillance. This surveillance, as you know, has been accomplished by our space patrols, known to Earthmen as flying saucers. Ah, they were courageous, these Earth creatures, to brave space in that crude ship. But they were inferior beings, and therefore they had to be atomized. Their extinction was necessary to ensure our way of life. Yet perhaps, since this has been your first encounter with creatures from outer space, you, 
You whose glorious victory this has been may want to say something. Is there anyone who wants to say something? You? Uh, well, uh, yes, yes. Uh, it was a very interesting experience. He said his name was John Black. Uh, he was a nice young being. Nice. <laughs> he, he thought I was his father, whatever that is. Uh, uh, I guess that's all I want to say. And you? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Well, I thought of something, but I forgot. I see. And you? One of them asked me if Mars was heaven. What's heaven? I don't know. Now for the business at hand. The ship, the ship they came in. The destruction of it. Disintegrator squad. Ready. Proceed. Compressed charge. 16 atmospheres. Charges compressed. Low velocity. Trajectory two. Low velocity. Trajectory two. Release. Charge. The ship they came in, it's gone. Motorists, did you ever consider that taking care of a car is something like caring for a baby? It's easier when you've got a system. And in caring for your car, the Richfield gasoline dealer has a system. It's called Richfield All Point Safety Service. Have the Richfield dealer service your car tomorrow because hot weather is hard on lubricants. Wear and sudden breakdown can occur before you realize there's anything wrong. With All Point service, the Richfield dealer will change your oil to fresh, rich lube all-weather motor oil and give your car a careful all-point lubrication job. Chassis, differential, front wheels, and transmission. And that includes service of automatic transmissions with the new Richfield automatic transmission fluid. Richfield all-point safety service also includes inspection and, and care of all the likely trouble spots, such as battery, spark plugs, tires, and radiator. So save time, save money with this one-stop service. Get warm weather protection for your car now with Richfield All-Point Safety Service. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robson. And tonight has presented Mars is Heaven by Ray Bradbury. Adapted for radio by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Featured in the cast were Jeff Corey as Captain Black, Florence Bates as the grandmother, Bill Johnstone as Dr. Hingston, Walter Catlett as number one of Mars, Elizabeth Root as Phyllis, Paul Fries as Peter Lustig, Ian Wolfe as the father, and Stuart Novens, who played himself. Also heard were Ruth Parrott and Ben Wright. Special music arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You're standing on the floor of the ocean, pronging up a fortune in sponges, but moving closer and closer to you, his huge sponge hook raised to rip open your diving suit, is a man from whom there is no escape. Next week at this time, the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York invites you to escape with an exciting story about sponge fishers in the Gulf of Mexico, as John and Gwen Bagney tell it in The Big Sponge. Be listening. Goodbye then until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.